Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Mo DeKeel of Nerdishy Wrote at The Athletic, and he writes for Bleacher Report, of course, formerly worked for the Clippers and the Spurs, and we talked primarily about Summer League. I thought it was a really fun conversation about the teams and players that stood out to both of us. This is an extended conversation about Oklahoma City, but plenty of other stuff in there as well. And this week's episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. Go to athleticgreens.com slash realgm, and you can get a free one-year supply of immune support vitamin D and some travel packs on your first purchase. And our friends at betonline.ag use that CLNS50 code for a 50% welcome bonus. Episode with Mo runs just under an hour. Lots of good stuff in here. Hope you really enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Oh, I'm happy to be here, Danny. It's always fun coming on with you. I wanted to ask you, I mean, because you have this experience with a team, I thought a place to start was, I don't know if it's informed by that. What is your philosophy? You spent a lot of time in Vegas. Um, when it comes to watching Summer League, watching the players in Summer League, are you looking for flashes? Are you kind of more specific stuff? Where do you go? So there's always like a couple of things. The first thing I'm looking for is how many second year guys are playing and mm-hmm. what have they what have they learned from the last season? I think summer league's more important for the second year guy than even the rookies. And I, I agree with you. And I was disappointed. Uh, this year was disappointing in the number of guys who didn't play. You, you know, the Jalen Greens, the uh, even Cade Cunningham, you know, Jalen Suggs, who didn't really didn't do much in the season, really should have played summer league, didn't play. Franz, Franz Wagner. Like those guys all should have been playing summer league, I thought. And and there's a couple of guys I would give passes to, like Scotty Barnes, that he made the playoff run and, and, and he got injured. So you're kind of like, hey, let's take it easy with him. Evan Mobley, there was probably nothing to gain because it wasn't like a teammate he had to really get incorporated with. But the second year guys, that's that's the guy I want to watch the most because I want to see what they learned. I was really happy. I really enjoyed a couple of games from uh, uh, Josh Giddy, you know, and I thought he made some strides there that, that are really going to help Oklahoma City. Another example of that for me is Zyra Williams. And Zyra Williams, you know, he, we, we don't know exactly where he's going to fit into the Grizzlies rotation this coming year, but he played in five games. He played about 24 minutes a game, and I thought he looked good. He had the ball in his hands a little bit more. And there's always this element of context, particularly with second-year players, because the team has a better idea of what they have. You know, like, it, there's, a, there's a part of Summer League for first-year guys, and don't worry, we'll talk plenty about the rookies, where it's, okay, we've seen this guy on film, but what is he? Because they've only been on that franchise for about two weeks when some leak happens but for second year players for third year players like Killian Hayes the team has a pretty good idea of what they are they've seen them not only in NBA games of course but in practices in potentially G League stuff and scrimmages and so what they ask those players to do and how well they do it are both really important yeah and and I think you know the Zaire Williams is a great example. And then I think go back to last season and Desmond Bain getting a lot more reps, you know, on the ball playmaking and how that kind of helped the Grizzlies this season with games that John missed. They had another little reliable secondary playmaker or so on, you know, another ball handler and things like that. It allows these guys to kind of expand and get in a role that they probably don't normally get in the regular season and, and to kind of play around and experiment with. So like, I, I think it's really important. Again, I was just shocked with the number of uh, 
guys who didn't play in in the, the summer league coming after their uh, rookie year. Well, and another one along those lines that you did, well, two that you didn't mention that I think fit in with the spirit of that. I don't know what the deal is with James Booknight, like what, because it sounded like he was going to play and then didn't. And then I know Davion Mitchell is going to have a larger role in the Kings this year, but he, you know, you brought up Desmond Bain before. Desmond Bain, starter on the Grizzlies, as things turned out last year, having him go into summer league gave them some real momentum. And I think there can be a slight difference when you have a player at that position or role that you're looking to test out. And I mean, and the Kings did have Frankie Ferrari who played for them, who went to USF. And I thought that, you know, he had some nice moments, but like, if you can give those reps to Davion Mitchell, by all means, you you do it. And there is a risk of injury. We saw EJ Liddell go down with a torn ACL and that sucks. And that will happen, you know, just being on the court more, there is going to be a risk of injury. But like you, I was surprised at the level of players who who have something to, to grow, have something to prove, and maybe they're doing this through practice or something else. But I agree with you. It was it was disappointing. And it's just, the thing is when people are like, yeah, but they're playing in practice and things like that, nothing equates to what game action is. Now, this summer league's not an NBA game. Like we can just be honest about it, right? It's it's it, but it's the closest those guys will get until next season, right? The pickup games that they're going to play in the off season does not at all at all come close to what a summer league game is, right? With the refs, with the coaching, the timeouts, and things like that. There's a whole different rhythm to it, and I think it's closest to the NBA game, so that's why I think it's a valuable moment for these guys. And you know, again, Davion Mitchell, another dude, you need to be on the court, and it's not because and he does, but you need those refs as a ball handler, and you need to work on those skills and. And that's the best opportunity to do it and to do it against another team, do it against a hungry team, whatever it is with refs and things like that. You don't get that. And then the the injury thing, too, which which does suck. But we've also have guys that get hurt in working out. Sure. You know, it's it's if you're if the risk is always if you're the concern is always going to be, well, they might get injured, assuming it's not an injury prone guy. You're you're just wrap them up in bubble wrap. They shouldn't be working out in the offseason then, right? Like they shouldn't be doing anything then. I think that's kind of the you can't be afraid of that because injuries are going to happen, unfortunately. They are. And I I thought that some of the second year or, you know, non-rookies that intrigued me, I thought one of the funniest things is that Quentin Grimes had a really good summer league, I thought, overall. I thought he, you know, they gave him more to do, and I thought he did it reasonably well and was was getting to the line, which was very encouraging from Grimes. But what cracked me up is that the one game that Grimes wasn't at that standard was when he played against Moses Moody. And Moses Moody, (laughs) that was the best game that he played of all summer league as well. And so I thought that both those guys, you know, we, we... We think a lot about how point guards and kind of centers, you know, centers often look really raw. And then that second year, you can see some development and like, oh, they've these are the things they've learned, especially on defense. But there's a lot of growth for two guards or wings more broadly as well. Yeah. And, you know, it's summer league's always tough for for big guys because it's they generally might have a guard that's trying to make the team and and things like that. They're kind of hampered a little bit with those kinds of things. But it's perfect for guards. It's a good opportunity for guards. Show that they could run a team, show that they could, you know, handle the ball, score, whatever they need to prove. They're in that environment to prove and they're going to have the ball in their hands most of the time. So it's it is better for those guys if we're, we're, we're being kind of blunt and honest about it. But I think some of that has to come down to the team being smart when they're constructing the roster to make sure they're getting guys out there that are going to get the ball to the big guy you know the guys that they want to work on but I think the uh, uh, ultimate thing is I just think guys should be playing more summer league I agree with you. And the point that you made towards the end there, I think is extremely salient, which is we, you know, it's something I've honed over the years. And I know, I know you guys talk about this on Nerder is like putting players in a position to succeed. 
And we talk about it a lot in terms of the playoffs. And I mean, this is one of the, some would say, lessons from the process Sixers is that you, you, in order to properly evaluate the guys who actually matter to you, you want to put relevant complementary pieces just so you understand what in the heck you have. Like that, you know, the idea that if you're, the rest of your roster is so horrendous that yeah, you're losing a bunch of games and you're getting better draft picks, but you also can't really evaluate your, your own foundational players. It can be a problem. And I think that teams have generally understood that. I mean, you could bring up how Troy Weaver has been handling things for the Pistons and even to a lesser extent, the Rockets and the Thunder who have, I mean, they've done it in different ways, but have kind of gotten that approach. It is striking and some of this is availability to see how far that pendulum swings the opposite direction in summer league, where part of it is there aren't that many like point guards who do the right things who are available to play in summer league and who want to. Maybe maybe there'd be a way to like get those guys more money or something. But it does lead to all these other problems in terms of valuation because what they have to navigate shittier spacing. They have to, tr- you know, you're trying to get somebody who's not looking for their own shot as much unless it's one of those players that you're really trying to evaluate. And and so it does make the environment tougher for a lot of these guys. Yeah, and I think that's just part of the the challenge. And that comes down to the teams. And I think teams need to do a better job of trying to get stuff out of summer league themselves. You know, there are teams that do it. You talked about Oklahoma City. Detroit does a good job. Memphis does a great job with it. You know, let's make sure we, we're getting something out of summer league. Then you have some teams out there that just, it almost feels really wish-washy in how they go about it. And maybe that's a product of their situation and whatnot, but I think there's a way to start working on development. It's a development moment. And I think teams need to take that a little bit more serious and need to, and some of that has to go in the roster construction. You know, there was, God, there's a year, you know, the, I'm not sure if I was with the Clippers or um, I was with the Spurs, but talking with one of the Clipper guys, but they made a point to get kind of like a veteranish type point guard because they're like, hey, look, you're not going to make the team, but come join us. We'll pay you. Obviously, we'll take care of you. We need you to run the team because we need to see what these guys can do. And we need you to get them the ball and those opportunities. And from that, you know, it's an opportunity to get shine because a lot of other teams are going to see you play running offense. A lot of even if it's not NBA level teams, it's European club are there watching out like this is a chance for you to get your next paycheck so you got to jump in on that and you know it pays off in that sense and I think teams need to think a little bit more in that sense when they're building that roster out for for summer league which sometimes also happens very quickly it does happen quickly and maybe you thought that you were going to get an evaluation point guard and then you just ended up not drafting them and you know we, we see the two-way contracts pop off really quickly but then a lot of other stuff doesn't and you it's it's such a great point that these veteran point guards a lot of times the, yeah the dream would be you get somebody loves you and you get an NBA contract but a lot of times it's you know maybe there's a European team or the G League or something else that that's interested in you and it's an opportunity when if those are what you're trying to get if you don't have a contract already lined up most of the eyeballs are actually focused on summer league like it's, it's not a circumstance where oh you had you you taking taking that on even if it's for limited money you're sacrificing a stronger opportunity like in those circumstances i'm extremely sympathetic and these people are all doing what is right for them but it is a reminder of like kind of the, the chronology of the basketball year does matter to this as well yeah and i think that's important and some of it too like when let, let me put it you this way a guy goes undrafted and it becomes an immediate race on the phone call. The the post-draft phone call game is hilarious because now you have teams calling agents immediately after the draft for undrafted players saying, hey, we're going to give you 200000 to come to Summer League, you know, and, and and cool, we got him. Then five minutes later, like, no, we didn't get him because Memphis offered him 300000 or whatnot. And, a, and a, a 
guaranteed spot for training camp, you know, or something like that. Like it becomes that game of racing to make sure you get the guys. And then then from there, you have to adjust after that. Like the the race to put the team together is really is is, is really interesting in, in putting that summer league team together. And then from there, now it's you have a week of practice, then go play. Yeah, that's true. Let's get to Kitty. Um, you brought him up earlier. And I spent a lot of last year as a Josh Kitty skeptic. I mean, the passing is undeniable. I mean, he's an unbelievable passer. And the question that I've been grappling with is, can Giddy create an advantage consistently enough to harness that passing? I mean, he's, he's going to create openings no matter what. But if we're thinking about this in terms of an NBA team, and or can he be good enough off ball that you can, you know, kind of in some ways like what, what Lonzo has done to an extent, where teams have to respect the shot a little bit, and then you can be a ball mover even if you're not running the show. And I thought that the returns on, so the returns for me with Giddy were kind of a better version of the same, meaning that the things that I liked about Giddy before, still true. The things that concerned me, not fundamentally different. Did you see it the same way? Yeah, I mean, I think the... I think the big thing for Giddy is he's going to benefit the most from playing with Chet Holmgren. Sure. Right. Cause that's where that, he, he, I think he was able to create, I think he's going to be able to create the advantage off the dribble just enough. But I think now with Holmgren setting the screens and teams going to be a little bit worried about his pick and pop potential, his rolling potential, I think that will open up more opportunities for him. So I think he'll benefit there in that sense. I, you know, it's this week, the news dropped that Chip England's leaving the San Antonio Spurs to go to Oklahoma city. That's another huge win for Josh Giddy. Right. Like that's a guy that's going to a renowned shooting coach. That's a guy that's going to work on Giddy's shot. And in that sense, because he has to develop that because he's going to have to work on that off ball stuff, too, because Shea's still going to have the ball in his hands a ton. And I think that's going to be the important thing is he needs to be able to knock it down just enough because when he has that and then then that opens up even more passing. You know, it's funny. Like, I think sometimes when we talk about the shot, I don't think we talk about really the importance of having the shot isn't that you can make these shots is that it allows you to get to the part, the best parts of your game. And I think that's the important aspect of it. And I think that's something that you want to see from Giddy. And I think something that we'll have to we didn't see a lot of him off ball in summer league. Right. A lot of it was on ball. He was the main ball handler for most of it. I, I'm looking forward to seeing that during the season of how he kind of handles being an off-ball role. Agreed. And I mean, it's a very basic point, but it bears repeating that the more teams you, you brought up, like shooting to set up the other good parts of your game, you could think about this for like, imagine Giddy off-ball. The closer the defender feels like they need to guard him, the easier it is to get by that defender on a drive. Because exactly. if, they're, if they're three steps back, well, then it's hard to get by them. If they're right on you because they feel like they have to be there, do that. And and depending on how Giddy develops, and you could think about various different players over the years, like if he could get a more reliable pull-up shot, that'd be great. If he get a more reliable catch-and-shoot shot, that'd be great. If he get both, even better. Like the, you can do it in all of those different directions. And what I like about Giddy, and it's going to be such a challenge to see where this goes. I mean, he's still very young and extremely talented, is that a lot of the other stuff in his game would fall into place pretty well if he can kind of solve these bigger things. Because because I think his defense is is solid. He's a good rebounder for his size and like he's an unbelievable passer as we've talked about. And so it happens at times there are always a couple of players around the league where it's like if they get the big things right the small things are kind of the smaller they're still they're not small smaller things actually kind of make sense and that doesn't make the big things less important it just means that if he gets there there is a better overall player waiting at the end 
Yeah, and I think that's kind of the key. It, watching his development over the next year or two, and and because developing a shot takes a long time. Now he's going to have a new shooting coach with him in 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 Chip. I think it's going to take a little bit of time. Like I don't, I'm not expecting him to come in October and start raining threes for the Thunder. But you know, you need to see the willingness to take those shots because, as you said. It's so much easier for defenders not having to worry about a blow by because we can just sit in the paint and wait for you. Any shot you take until you get into the paint, that's a win for us. Even if you make it, we, we're betting you're not going to make enough of them. So I think that's an important aspect of his game that we'll have to see kind of s- slowly develop. With OKC, and I'll, I'll get to this before we talk about some of their rookie guys who are really interesting, there's also the element of the timeline. And so Shea Gildas Alexander starts his significant extension this year. And Lou Dort's new contract is, is just starting because of the decision Presti made to opt him out and, and re-sign him, which I, I think was a good decision overall. And, you know, he got some time before Chet Holmgren gets his raise, before, you know, you have to, to negotiate Giddy's either extension or new contract. And so I think what Presti needs to spend the next couple of years doing, it's not only trying to add more talent, you know, be great if you could get Victor Wembanyama or Scoot. Yeah, of course, that'd be that'd be real fun. But also, see, figuring out kind of how all of these different talents that you have fit together, and you don't need to make a definitive pronouncement on any one of them this year, this trade deadline, or anything like that. But understanding this is what Shea Gilders Alexander is now. This is what we think he needs around him. It, does it make sense for us to to have him? Does it make sense to potentially move him somewhere else? And like the giddy Shea fit is an important question how each of those guys is is with with Holmgren and it's hard because the intention is for this roster to continue to be in flux like that is the idea yes they have solidified some of this with Lou Dort's contract and Kenrich Williams's contract and everything else but they want to be piecing all this together so you're kind of evaluating players individually and collectively while understanding that the the whole pie is going to shift the whole time yeah I mean it's it's hard when you're playing it in this it's funny to me I look at this roster and I go like this is a team that can be pretty fun and I, and I mean like they can probably win some games I don't know if they're a playing team or, or or whatnot and things like that but this is a team that can actually win some games and and have some bounce which is probably what they don't want if they mm-hmm. want to try to chase for Webb and Miyama or Scoop and I think the 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 timeline questions fair but I also look at it as it's not that wild like Josh Giddy is going to be 20 next year you know and 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 Shay's 23 like it's not so wild or will be 24 right so it's a four-year part that's probably the furthest stretch I'm willing to go as as a team but at a certain point you got to start competing and the funny thing is I was taught we were talking on on Nerder that will drop on Friday you know it's they actually have done so well with the roster that it's it's going to be hard for them to just full-on tank you know they have talented guys on their roster now across the board from young kids and things like that they might luck into some wins that take them out of the top or the bottom three in the uh, west but I think you got to start thinking now of the next phase and I think I hate the idea of them trying to tank for Scoot and Webb and Yama. like I think that's kind of as good as those guys are I feel like that's we're now crossing a, a, a point of like no nah, you guys are good enough now you need to start trying to win games and I think they got a roster that can help them win games and they can make a few tweaks here and there but it's it's just the the flux side of it Danny just completely screws me up about them it's a challenge and I think that the way this often works out is you give it a real try and I 
I, I like Mark Dagnall as well. I, I think you give it a real try for three months, let's say, and you see where you are. And if you're in the mix to potentially, you know, like get into the play in or something like that, great. Full steam ahead. You you keep going in that direction. And it's like the NBA season resolves a lot of these issues as a practical matter. And right. then if you're, and you and I both think the West is going to be incredibly strong this year, it's possible that the Thunder are are a very respectable team that they're you know clearly not bad but then are still well out of that mix and then at that juncture you make some moves but the other funny thing about the thunder is they're going to be leaning heavily on their young guys and so the easiest like the easiest way to tank is a team that is being propped up to some extent by their vets and then you trade those vets, and then the guys right. that are the guys that are there just aren't really good enough to hold it up. Now the Thunder have done that in other years by sitting players and everything else like that. Yeah, poss- possibility. But I agree with you. I think it's going to be harder for them to tank, assuming that the players are are there. But then the other part, like you talked about the evaluation, and we'll get to the rookies in a second. Is we didn't see them in summer league, but Darius Baisley and Ty Jerome, you know, guys like that that are about to be pending restricted free agents if they get qualifying offers. Evaluating them matters too. And and if you think that they're a rotation player, if you think that they're a, you know, somebody who potentially has starter upside either on this team or theoretically another one like that, that changes things. And Presti, by virtue of all of these picks that they've had, but also by, you know, getting some rolls of the dice that I think have worked out reasonably well. Kendrick Williams is a great example, who was in many ways a throw in of that trade last year that they have a lot of rotation caliber players. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's it's funny. It's I, I almost feel like two months is going to be too long for them to 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 figure out where, where they fall in the uh the the standings because you know we know san antonio is going to tank and they're going to be bad uh we know utah is going to be really bad uh i have low expectations for charlotte um i feel like there's going to be it's, it's going to get kind of crowded down at the bottom there pretty quickly in the season so you know i just hope honestly i hope they and I've been very critical of their tanking and resting guys and things because I think that stunts guys like Shea's growth as a player. Because, you know, I was just having a conversation with uh, a, a former GM about this over the week. And he was like, I don't think Shea's that guy. I said, I don't have enough data. He's only played 50 and 30 games now. Now, after Chris Paul's and 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 Dennis Schroeder left, like, I need the data to be able to tell me what it is. I just can't make a, a definitive statement of what type of guy he is because he doesn't play. And that's a problem. And I think it stunts his growth as a player. And I think that's something that in the long run actually will hurt OKC even if they get a high draft pick uh coming this year assuming they were they were to go back to tanking I think they just got to play Danny at the end of the day you got to start going you got to start playing you got to start hey all right we did this for a couple years look we got the number two pick and got Chet Holmgren cool let's go we have Josh Giddy we have Shea we got Dort signed we're we're pretty solid in in that area the timeline we got a couple older guys and some really young guys we can make this work let's let's start to kind of be that fun team and start to move up the the standings and get out of this whole idea of let's tank let's start to build a team here and start working so for me i'm going to be really disappointed in this team if they really start trying to rest guys early in the year unless they have legitimate reasons fair plenty more with mo but first a message from athletic greens it is a product i use every day i started taking ag1 because i was looking for a healthy sustainable morning routine and so putting some powder in water shaking it up and drinking it I, i've noticed a lot of real benefits 75 high quality vitamins and it's a small microhabit with big benefits it's one thing you can do every single day to take great care of yourself and it's far cheaper than getting all of these different supplements yourself it 
I've noticed that it makes me feel a lot better. And so what I'd recommend is that you check it out for yourself. And to make that easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D plus five free travel packs with your first purchase. What you do is you go to athleticgreens.com slash realgm. Again, that URL is athleticgreens.com slash realgm, R-E-A-L-G-M, to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance with our friends at Athletic Greens. At first, my my thought on on Chet Holmgren's addition to this is that you know the the Thunder have their defensive effectiveness has changed changed around different iterations and everything like that. But generally speaking, if they could take a modest step forward on defense, it would make a big difference for them over like as they played the last couple of years. And I think Dagdalt has gotten some of the good low hanging fruit, but he can really help there. But watching him in summer league, I think part of what made Chet Holmgren so exciting to me is I think he's really going to help them offensively too. Yeah, yeah I mean, well, he's going to do. Like, just think about what he can do on offense. You know, he's a, a, a vertical spacer in the sense that he can roll to the rim hard and they can just throw a lob up there. I think he's still a little bit light and might get bumped off the spot, but that's still, but that's something that's going to be an option for them there. They have a guy that they can pick and pop reliably that teams are going to have to kind of be concerned about. So it adds almost a little bit of that versatility on the offensive area that it opens up the floor and the driving lanes for Giddy, for Shea, you know, for, for guys like that. It'll, it'll suck in the defense on the roll and then they'll be able to find Dort who's kind of, who's improved as a shooter. And I think you, you just got to kind of keep working along those lines like I think their offense is going to be improved I, their defense has to take a leap with just Chet on the floor him rotating off the weak side was my favorite thing he did this whole summer league him coming over on the weak side and rejecting shots that's how I want him to play defensively if I'm the the thunder and I think that that alone will just kind of raise their level defensively it should and it'll make teams a little bit more reluctant to take shots around the basket and Holmgren I wonder how exactly because I, I like a lot of the skills that he has offensively if you're playing him at power forward you can still use power forwards in the action a lot i mean john collins is going to be if, if you listen to this podcast sitting there shaking his head like yeah we'll see but with holmgren <laughs> he makes good decisions a lot of times as well so it's you know if the if the ball handler gets doubled or they do something else well then you can if you give holmgren that four on three he makes good decisions and what surprised me you know i, I liked i like the offensive film of holmgren at gonzaga overall is I, you know, there, there were, and there were times in Utah Summer League where you're like, oh yeah, he's going to, you know, play better spacing. He could be, or like just a different, different iteration of the team. And he can do more with, with OKC than he had to with the Zags because of the surrounding talent that he had, which was both good and in some ways limiting for him. But there's also this idea that I couldn't shake. And this isn't a bad thing at all. That Holmgren's offensive role might actually be like a more frequent, but somewhat similar version to what he did at Gonzaga, because I think he's going to be a four a lot of the time. Yeah. I mean, I think he just kind of kind of has to be. I don't think he right now has the physical tools to guard centers, you know, and, 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 and to be fair also, it's not like the old days where the NBA center was just a behemoth. There's probably four guys, you know, that he, he's going to play throughout the season that he has to, as, as centers, that would be very difficult for him. But I think right now he's, you start him out as a four and then work his way to being a five. I mean, I'm also kind of a big believer in just positions no longer exist in the NBA and you just kind of fill a role with everything that you do. But I think when you're looking at what Holmgren's going to do for for them offensively, 
again, I think it's a perfect fit. I think this was a great fit for Oklahoma City in terms of the draft because they exactly need the home grid from Gonzaga to come in. The only thing I think that won't translate that much or that well right away is his off-the-dribble stuff. I think he's going to struggle a little bit with with making moves off the dribble the way he did in Gonzaga, and I think that's something to keep an eye out for. But ultimately, if Oklahoma City gets Gonzaga Holmgren, they're in great shape. Yeah, and Holmgren's grab-and-go game, I think even, I agree with you with the handle, like kind of in the half court, I think there could be some problems there, but just being willing and moving quickly on grab-and-goes will also make a difference for OKC as they kind of figure out their transition offensive identity. Like, that's going to be something to keep for them to watch, and I don't want to dwell on him too much, especially because he spent so much time on the Thunder already. I also really like Jalen Williams. Um, Jalen Williams, the one who they drafted in the lottery, not the one out of <laughs> yeah, Arkansas. Yeah, I was going to say, which one? <laughs> and I thought that Williams... I, the best descriptor I have for it is that he he knew what was going on on both ends of the floor and had the athleticism to get it done. So it's like the mental part of the game, and that can be a huge question mark for guys in summer league. I mean, they've played college. It's been this whirlwind for them basically since their year college year finish, and I was impressed. Yeah, you know, it's one of those guys you're, we were watching, and, and you kind of just go like, that's what you want to see from your rookie, to be honest with you. You don't necessarily need to see big numbers and big plays. Those are nice and everything like that but you want to see him going like okay he fits he understands he he's he's working here he has a feel for everything and that's all the stuff you kind of saw from Jalen that I thought was like again I just looked at it like damn like the Thunder kind of came away with a great draft like they they my my evaluation of teams draft is usually after summer league in my own mental mind and I just go like yeah the Thunder kind of nailed this draft for them I think this is another guy that fits in right right well with everything that they're trying to do I, I just look at them and I just go like man they're gonna be fine if they if they trend the way they're going he was a good pickup he's an older player played three years in college i think he's got a good head on himself in terms of that stuff and the iq is pretty solid like that's and that's the stuff i saw from summer league where i was like yeah like he's gonna fit just fine there we talked about how there were some frustrations with second year guys not playing or not playing up to the standards that we thought broadly speaking I was pleased with this rookie class, though. I I thought that you had a lot of different players who didn't fundamentally change the way I thought about them, especially the guys that I watched in film because I had a better understanding. I mean, I I wasn't going to tell you how Jalen Dern was going to do because I had never watched film on him. Right. But, you know, like Ben Matherin or Jaden Ivey or, I mean, the top guys that we haven't already discussed, like, I I thought that this class had a lot of guys who I think they will hit the ground, maybe not running, but at least in a pretty healthy jog yeah i think this is one of those things like it's funny because i feel like the past few rookie classes have been really nice and 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 in the sense of i i almost feel like these players are getting smarter and it's looking and they're looking good you know like i don't watch a lot of college basketball danny like i'm really cramming come draft time with everything i had no idea paulo banchero can pass the way he passes so good i was like i was sitting there going like he's making reads veteran guards can't make and not only making the reads he's executing the pass perfectly and i'm watching it just going like this is this is great like this is awesome i was i was more juiced about that than anything else from Bonchero. um and he competed on defense which i was a bit surprised about because that was something i thought he doesn't do all that often um we'll see how that goes through an 82 game season but um you know we, we talked about chet you know jabari smith's defense as good as advertised i thought his offense he kind of struggled a little bit uh shooting the ball and things like that but i think that'll come along i was happy i mean i was pissed Jaden and ivy got hurt and, and sprained his ankle but 
I, I, before literally that game before he sprained his ankle, I was blown away with him, and 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 it was pretty excited. I think the rookie class in general, and I feel like this is beginning to be a, a a trend now. Is these guys are coming in a little bit more prepared than we're used to, and I think it's really showing in these summer league games in particular. Agreed wholeheartedly. And somebody else who merits some of that praise is Keegan Murray, and yeah. Murray he he fits in. There was a, a weird through line for me of the top of this draft, and obviously Jaden Ivey accepted. Is that there were a bunch of guys who had like some potential positional versatility like you, you didn't know exactly what they were like uh jabari i wasn't sure whether he was you know I, I thought he was more of a four than a three so but and like chad it was four versus five and you know it was very like it was so funny with all of them i walked out of assembly being like at least for now they're all power forwards it was right. a weird thing <laughs> but that's not necessarily a bad thing and i thought like with keegan murray it's just like oh he's big like he looked like he had power forward strength and he fits the position well and i was very very impressed with his overall offensive game. Jump shot looks looks smooth mechanically. I thought his jump shot looked better than it did when, when Nate and I watched film of him at Iowa. And the other parallel between a lot of these guys, and I would say this is true for Holmgren, Bancaro, and Keegan Murray in particular, they're very good decision makers with the ball in their hands. And Paolo is the most likely of those guys to actually like be running the show with some frequency, but not having the ball stick with you is one of the most important elements for whether it's a young team or an old team, watchable basketball and like, you know, getting other your teammates in the position to succeed because those split second, you know, if you can cut that decision from a second to a half second to a quarter of a second, it just it creates better opportunities. And I was so thrilled to see these players, whether they're going to have the biggest role or a more modest one, be good at that at 20. Yeah, it's it's actually pretty impressive. And it's and you don't blame these guys. Listen, you're Paolo Banchero. You got drafted number one overall in Orlando. You know, you go to summer league like, yeah, I want to drop 40 and show everybody why I was drafted number one. Right. Like there wasn't any of that. Right. Just super willing passer. And I think you're you're spot on with all of these guys, all with great kind of passing vision and, and all with the willingness to pass, which is something I think is an important thing to, to understand is there are guys that can pass. They're just not willing to pass or make that extra pass right away they want to kind of probe a little bit or at least take one dribble before they make a pass and, and the moment's over and I think you know watching it from these guys it was pretty impressive with that and I want to go back to kind of Keegan Murray just in the sense of you know he was great all through summer league I will be very interested to see if that's the role he continues to play in Sacramento because that's the thing with when you put De'Aaron Fox in the mix when you put DeMontis Sabonis in the mix um, you know uh, who'd they bring in at free agency that is names escaping me um, um I, i'm drawing blanks because it's sacramento uh davion uh, Mitchell. Are you malik monk malik monk sorry malik monk like another guy i could shoot like i'll be curious to see how his role kind of forms in sacramento because i don't know if he'll be playing as much the same way he did in sacramento the same role so it'll be interesting to see that going forward but he looked awesome too Right. Like the, the the one thing is I walked away going like at least the top five picks. I go like those teams all nailed it. And, uh, you know, Seth and I argued on the draft show about uh, drafting for need. I go like this was perfect. I think each of those teams drafted the right guy. That's a perfect fit for them. That w- will work exactly for them. Like Paulo Banchero probably doesn't work well in Oklahoma City. You know, I think, you know, he, he, he might not even fit great in, in Houston, in Orlando, when they need somebody that can score and be a one on one scorer at times. That's what he's going to be able to do for them and provide for them we talked about chet uh, jabari smith adding defense for the rockets is going to be pretty important i think that's going to go a long way keegan murray just another solid player for the king 
picks. Every pick for the first five picks was almost more as like, hey, these are needs that we need to fill. And they did it and they nailed the picks. Like I'm impressed so far with the top five guys, like the teams that drafted them. And a lot of those teams that had top five picks also ended up with other players in the draft of note. Yep. And I thought a lot of those guys looked good. Like if you want to say, you know, Jalen Duran, I was very impressed with how well he changed ends and he had some nice blocks as well. Like, yeah, the jump shot isn't quite there yet. He's a center, not the biggest deal in the world. <laughs> not supposed to be there yet. <laughs> I, 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 there were, there were a lot of positives for me for Ty Ty Washington and Tari Eason uh-huh. with the yeah. Rockets who seemingly have infinite rookie scale first round guys. And that's even before. <laughs> they get into next year and and so you had like those we already talked about Jalen Williams on the Thunder like the the combinations of some of these players will also be extremely exciting because and and they're going to get a lot better than they are right now and that's also important for the league because a lot of the teams that got those multiple picks including multiple lottery picks in certain cases they need a lot of help yeah and they and they've again they're, they're they're kind of filling it out like it's pretty impressive with everything that they have like I can't I, I mean, I'm just talking in circles at this point, but like, again, they nailed them. You know, we'll see if they nailed it in the regular season, but just looking at it so far, like you can make the reason of, hey, this is a smart draft pick. This made sense. There weren't a lot of picks that we, and, and a lot of places that team, excuse me, a lot of guys we watched at Summer League where I was like, God, I have no idea what the hell this team saw in them when they drafted him. Like it all just kind of fit and made sense. Yeah, I, w- I would say by and large, that's true. Um, Plenty more with Mo, but first a message from betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first-to-market odds and lines. Find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, eSports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in-game betting, props, and futures. So use the CLNS50 promo code, which gets you a 50 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit, which is awesome. Also, it tells them that you came from us, so hopefully they continue advertising on this fair podcast. And again, you head to the website or use your mobile device and use that CLNS50 code for your 50% welcome bonus at Bet Online, where the game starts. Were there any guys, you know, that because you and I both were just kind of scrambling to get to draft stuff in time, we have such a focus on the NBA. Were there any guys that we you hadn't really seen that you just when you saw when, you know, were there in several, you're like, oh, crap, this guy's really good. You, you know, it was uh, Matherin. Aha. More, more than anything else, you know, because um, I hadn't watched a lot of him, didn't even watch a lot of film on him going into the draft. For those that don't know, I, I actually had COVID going into the draft. It completely derailed my draft prep altogether. Um, but I hadn't watched a lot of him. And then when I was watching him, I was like, damn, this kid can play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, I'm kind of excited to watch Indy here. Like, this kid can hoop. It's going to be fun. He's one for me. Uh, I had watched film on him. So it was, I, I was impressed because the, and the trans transition for Matherin from low usage freshman to higher usage conference player of the year sophomore to what he was in summer league it's like yeah it's a it's not a progression that everybody goes through but it is an impressive and a natural one for me the guy that fit that and I'm sure Nate and I'll talk about him a lot on um, when we're going to do the summer league breakdown on the wolves is Josh Minot 
And there are always, you know, like it's been a thing for me for years. It's like basically when you if 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 you don't know what to do, roll the dice on somebody who's physically talented and like six foot seven because they can fill a spot in the rotation even if they don't end up starting. Like you need you need a good 20, 15 minute per game guy. You need a bunch of those on your roster. If somebody gets hurt, those are the positions that actually can sometimes hurt you the most just because you don't have capable replacements because scarcity. And when I saw Minot the first time, I'm trying to remember which team that was against. It might have been Denver. I'm just like, oh, this guy's good. Like, he's, he he has good pop physically. He was aggressive in passing lanes, had a couple of nice blocks. And so it just became, I, I mean, there every year there are a couple of guys where I'm like, I kind of want to go back and watch. I don't have the time usually to go back and watch some of their college footage and just be like, well, why didn't anybody see this? Why did this guy right. go in the second round? But Minot, I just, when I saw him the first time and it, I pleased my our, our, our colleague John Hollinger talking about this I'm like yeah he could just play yeah it's, it's just that simple sometimes it's that you know and sometimes guys slip through the cracks like I think people when you ask like how does this guy just go you know in the second round it's easy for a dude to slip through the cracks sure that's why that's why the second round has become actually more and more important lately as and I and, and I guess this is me kind of being a uh, more on my soapbox or anything else I'm impressed with just the talent level of these young kids yes and they're just there's more and more talented guys you know we used to scoff at what a late pick late first round pick is now the late first round pick can get you a guy that can it can be a role player or something not going to be a superstar or anything like that but can get you a contributor and 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 now late in the draft we're, or, or even in the second round you know especially early in the second round we're kind of seeing that and and I think that's more of a credit to just the talent level rising, you know, from from the young guys are are, are getting better, and 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 it makes it harder to even draft, you know, and that's why some teams are like, yo, I really do want to have multiple draft uh, picks because there's going to be two or three guys I want, you know, and I think it's important, and I think that's the the challenge there and we're going to find more and more talent in the second round i think in the coming years danny just because it's shit man a lot of kids it's a lot of places to cover and and, and some are going to slip through the first round and it's going to be a great opportunity for other teams we will get yeah and i mean there have also been real challenges in terms of player evaluation the last couple of years due to yeah. COVID, and so i think it's more likely i mean i can even think about that from my perspective now i do not i personally do not have the resources of nba teams and the scouting why not danny else. why not danny don't talk this to well, it's not quite doing that well. Um, and, and I think so for me, there were some guys in this class because usually, like, I try to get up to the hoop summit. If I can do a Team USA thing, like youth Team USA, I'll do it. And, you know, so they're t- typically, you know, the higher end guys, it's, it, it's a, a pretty quick riser that it, t- it takes to get like be drafted in the top 10 and I haven't seen them before in person or at least uh, honestly sometimes at least a couple times right. and this year there were just a lot more of those you know there was I I had I don't think I'd ever seen Paulo in person I'd seen Holmgren a, a bunch just for kind of different reasons I'd seen Jabari and but it was like you're like oh yeah because like and I mean you think about it more more importantly than like I didn't get to see them in person or all this kind of stuff it's like you think about what these kids have gone through over these last couple years you know like a lot of them was their senior year of high school and their freshman year of college that got completely changed by covid and i'm incredibly impressed by where the level that they are playing coming into the league yeah i mean just again we were talking about just the passing yeah that wasn't the case five years ago right you know like from these guys and it wasn't the fault of the kids coming in five years ago it just it's just the 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 level and the instruction and i think the 
the game itself has improved to the point where these guys are coming in much sharper and ready to go. Like it's, it's, it's pretty surprising. And I think that's just more along the lines of like, these kids are getting better and the, the next crop is probably going to be better than the last crop type deal, uh, sort of scenario. We're also, you know, you brought up the expectations from five years ago. I mean, the evolution in what these players are asked to do, whether it's high school or AEU or like youth national or wherever they're going with that is very different and like i mean we're getting into this it, i think we're probably still a couple of years away but Holmgren's a good example of this like these big guys that are still lower usage guys but they can they actually have good mechanics on their jump shots like think about how that if there's another you know like another five years of evolution of that where guys that are 6 10 6 11 just have been shooting jumpers for the last six years as opposed to just like being hey you're tall stand around the basket you know take a hook shot like that that sort of thing i, I think that there is a lot of growth that can happen there and also i mean we're seeing this around the league teams are getting better whether we're talking college teams or more specifically nba teams at coaching developing taller players into having more diverse skill sets yeah and i think that's just along the lines of the games change as you said from five years ago and 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 it'll change five years from now and i think the I love that you said it. Don't just go just go work on your jump hook. It's no, let's make these players all more well-rounded. It's not going to be just a jump shot. All right, now you need to be 6'10 and be able to put it on the floor. You know, you need to be able to pump fake and take three dribbles. You know, it's going to be it's it's going to change with all of that. And I think teams and their development structure have become less rigid and more open-minded to that idea now. Hey, let's all let's all kind of explore a little bit, you know. Um when I was in San Antonio, we had Matt Bonner, the 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 Red Rocket you know, and his his whole deal, he just shot threes. You know, it's it's we didn't, you know, now it's going to be a guy like Matt Bonner who comes in the league who can shoot threes like that. Great. Matt, you need to be able to put it on the floor as well now. And I think that's going to be the next iteration. And I think we're going to start to see more and more of that sort of develop as well. I think we're going to see a lot of really interesting things in, in just the development of NBA players over the next five years, in particular, the big men, because I still think they also need to work on their jump hooks, Danny. They do. They do. And, and setting better <laughs> screens. Oh, my goodness. I mean, and that's we're, some... we're a while away from that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that may never happen. But I, I think the other just basic human thing to consider here, and I think that this is probably why we'll see better returns in this space than some are expecting, is that the stuff, particularly when we're talking about bigger players, the stuff that they're being asked to do at a younger age is mostly pretty fun. You know, they're being asked to put the ball on the floor. They can grab and go. They can make these passes. They can shoot jumpers. Great. Like, you know, like that's the type of stuff that they'll want to do. It's the type of stuff that they can practice on their own and that they'll want to practice on their own because it's, it's fun to do, you know, dribbling the ball and pushing down the floor and running hard. And it's not, you know, take the, take the air out of the ball and you know or or, you know like set a good screen or any of those type things and yeah i'd love to see some of that stuff get better and so you you get these increasing returns when you're empowering young players to do things that they'll want to do in the first place yeah and i think that's just an important aspect of it you know and and the the aspect of it too in the sense that probably isn't as as uh something fans want to hear but it's like yo you want to get paid you got to develop these things you want to get that next contract and go to that next level or or reach that next tier of of player you need to be able to develop those things and i think you're going to start to see hungrier guys again it's just these guys are coming in almost more mature ready to go for 19 and 20 i was such a jackass at 20 you know but these kids are coming in ready to roll and i think that's just the way the society has changed there's another element that i've been thinking about a little bit and you've worked with the team so i'll be interested if you respond to this is 
that a lot of these positives that we've been talking about are offensive. And I think part of that might actually be in a convoluted way a benefit for the NBA defensively because I've talked over the years, um, I, I've had the longest like interviews that I've ever done have mostly been young big men. And one of the things they always talk about is just how much more is being asked of them in the NBA, how much they have to learn, you know, in terms of communication and reaction. And so if we're talking about Chet Holmgren or we're talking about Jalen Duran or any of these other guys, whether they were extremely defensive develop, defensively developed or not, they were going to have a lot to do there. And so maybe in a weird way, I mean, yeah, you want instincts and all those type of things. Having a little bit more of a blank canvas on that end, you know, you can still identify physical tools and everything else, then they can they can work with those things. And it's not always like you work on offense, so you can't do anything on defense. But the idea that NBA teams are going to want to remake that ball of clay defensively anyway. So maybe working on that a little bit less, getting guys less set in their ways in college when the game is fundamentally different is probably a good thing. Oh, no, it's huge. That's the one advantage for teams getting their hands on guys this young, right? They don't have the opportunity to develop so many bad habits on the defensive end. It's it's being able to mold them. But I want to just say one thing is we also in the NBA now are asking big men to just try to do too much. We don't ask the guards to nearly do as much as we ask the big men. Big men have to be able to protect the rim, make sure that they discourage shots, everything like that, rebound, and then go close out on a guard and switch and be able to keep him from the paint. Like, we don't we don't expect that from guards. And I feel like there's a low level of unfairness in terms of the uh, job responsibilities between the big men and the guards in general for all of those things. And I think that's something teams will have to slowly start to address. But for a team itself, the idea of having having a guy like Jabari Smith who has all the defensive tools or a Chet Holmgren who have all the defensive skills and 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 physical tools that you would want you're looking at them going like great now I get to mold you in my system for the next four or five years and hopefully you guys can pick it up and roll with it and go with it but I think that's something teams love you know it's hard when you get a guy that's been it's hard to break habits even when you get a free agent who after he's been around the league for five or six years, they come in and, hey, like we're playing a different defensive set, different defensive style than you're used to. Like we got to start dropping some. We got to drop some of your other habits that may not necessarily be bad habits, but they don't fit this system. And it's and it becomes hard for these guys, you know, and, and hey, in my last place, we actually left the strong side corner and then we're expected to rotate it out. Um other places don't and things like that like there's a whole element there and i think when you have a young guy teams especially when you a, a team coaching staff that has the security that they know they're going to be there for a while they know that this is a guy we're going to be able to mold which is kind of what the jazz did with rudy gobert mm-hmm. yeah it's definitely true were it kind of i mean it's a quiet part in the offseason that could eventually rumble we'll see what happens with mitchell and what happens with with durant is have you caught yourself thinking about the coming season or are you still kind of getting off of summer league and seeing where things go it's so funny because it's like during the season, I'm always tired, Danny, and I'm like grinding towards the end. Everything ends now. And now I'm looking around going like, I'm kind of bored. Um, you, you know, it's, it's it's kind of a weird feeling. So I have thought about next season to a degree. I'm, I'm just kind of thinking like there's a lot of teams I want to watch next season. I mean, this year more than any other year like forget about just saying a league pass team this is a league pass year you know like they're just every night there's going to be worth watching somebody you know a lot of the the even the teams that are going to be bad have interesting guys to keep an eye for except for a couple teams but orlando's probably not going to be very good but they're going to be fun to watch you know same for okc same for indiana and 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 sacramento who knows what they're going to be they might actually be pretty good and we can kind of figure that out but i just think this year it's 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 going to be a fun one 
and I'm kind of excited, and I hope everybody kind of – I hope the Clippers can stay healthy. I hope the Nuggets can stay healthy because I want to see what those teams can do. Agreed, and I'm I'm also going to be keeping an eye on how the potentially like feistiness of the bottom ends up affecting it because, I mean, you, you I think that the top of the league is going to be, you know, depending on health, strong this year. And so will we – where are the lines of division going to be? So you could talk about, you know, like the, the, the framework is a little bit different now with the play-in. So now we're talking more about top 10 rather than top 8. But, I mean, my my thought of the thresholds, you know, I, we, we thought it was going to be super high in the East and then eventually it calmed down a little bit with some injuries like the Cavs falling off a little bit and everything else. But, like, I think it's going to be hard to get in. And yeah. that's a good thing. I, I think that's going to that that and if there was this really interesting idea years ago. I, I wish I could remember who to credit with it. That the Western Conference being as strong as it was actually helped out the teams at the bottom because they knew they were out earlier, and so that mm-hmm. ended up leading to them getting better draft picks. And I think there could be elements of that as well this year because I mean you think of teams like like you know Minnesota. They had to beat the Clippers. They had to battle through the play-in to get in. They're going to be a whole heck of a lot better this year than they were last year. And then you have all the teams that are healthier, including the Clippers, who they dispatched in that, in that first play-in game. And so the margins are going to be tight, and the standard is going to be high. And I think general. I mean, first of all, it's good for those of us who watch basketball because we're going to have right. basketball <laughs> and everything else. But also, I wonder about the other kind of key question here, and this it's a little bit early now, to think about is how much are these the, like a lot of these teams going to care about seeding because sometimes when you have a strong group you care a lot about seeding because it's who you want to avoid who you want to do other things and this is more the stuff that affects you throughout the season like how willing is Steve Kerr to give Stephen Curry Draymond Green Clay Thompson a night off in the beginning of the season in the middle of the season not, not we're not talking about like the last 10 games when you kind of know the score in the earlier stretch the Clippers are a fantastic example of this I think Kawhi's going to get plenty of rest throughout the season and my theory preliminarily, especially in the West, though it could be true in the East too, depending on how the Durant stuff shakes out and a few other things, is you start getting right for the playoffs a lot earlier. And I mean, it's part of why I think the NBA season should have fewer games in it. But you see these teams going, yeah, it might end up being that the second seed is way better than the fourth seed, like way more desirable for us, like that, you know, beyond the obvious home court structural stuff, but because we face weaker opponents. But is it that big a difference? You know, are we going to, are we going to push our and because that changes a lot throughout the league but and i don't know the answer to it i think it might just be the idea that everybody pushes early which seemingly what always happens and then eventually around the halfway mark they go crap our guys are tired and then they start working from it yeah i think certain teams can kind of go into the season and not worry about seeding like the golden state warriors have been through every type of playoff series they can possibly be through now you know whether they've had home court or not i think they're going to be a team that's not going to worry about seeding i think you have a team like dallas they need to worry about seeding. They're still a young team. Same for Memphis. Same for Minnesota. You know, and I think those and it, and then it also comes down to the other thing. It's not so much seeding, Danny, as much as like getting reps together. You know, like that was my biggest criticism of the Clippers when they first formed with Kawhi and Paul George was Kawhi's taking all this time off. These guys don't have not played together enough to really kind of develop that chemistry where I was looking at the Lakers that year. It was the last good Laker year. LeBron was playing every game. AD was playing every game. They were developing a chemistry. They were developing a flow and a system and a style and, and, and having that understanding to being together. So 
it almost goes beyond just seeding as much as just making sure you get continuity. Teams with good continuity and good flow, I think they can get away with 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 that. And you know, the teams that don't or are young need to kind of focus on making sure we're playing to at least make sure we get seeding. Because listen, Memphis is great. They need home court advantage in the playoffs. You know, especially because that's such a advantage with them. Them going, the fans going nuts, singing "Whoop That Trick" and doing their whole thing, waving the towels like that's an advantage. You want to get as many home games as possible in that sense. I don't think that phases Golden State to go in there and try to win a game. I think that's the the scenario. It means more. Like if Golden State can have it, yeah, they'll 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 do it. But it's, it means more to Memphis, and I think it'll be interesting to see how that kind of plays out. And I'll be curious. The team I'm really curious about with all of that is Boston mm. to see how they how do they handle this season. Are they going to go all out again this season? Because they were gassed by the end of the the playoffs, and part of that was they'd played two seven game series, you know, <laughs> getting to just get to the finals. And I feel like that was exhausting for them, and that wore them down. They're a little deeper now. Maybe that means they can give Tatum a night off here and there, give Brown a night off here and there. Maybe they don't need. Uh, home court advantage. I mean, they won a, a game seven on the road in the conference finals. You know, it's it's maybe that might change their thinking there. That's a team I'm watching because they're kind of like right in that middle area. I'd be I'd be very curious to see how they handle it. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, thank you so much for taking time. It was an absolute pleasure. Always fun. Thanks again to Mo for taking the time to come on. You can listen to him on the Nerder She Wrote podcast, which is absolutely excellent, along with friend of the show, friends of the show, Seth Partnow and Dave Dufour, and whatever wonderful guests they have on. You can also check out his written work at Bleacher Report. He also does some really cool stuff on Twitch, and um, you can kind of get all of that stuff with Mo's Twitter account, which is MoDakil underscore NBA, M-O-D-A-K-H-I-L underscore NBA. Love Mo's intelligence and enthusiasm, and I thought we got to a lot of really fun places in this pod. If you want to support Real GM Radio, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can subscribe, download every episode, whatever podcast player you use, especially if it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts, should be very easy to find. If you are using a podcast player and Real GM Radio is not showing up to you, please let me know, and I can pass that along to people who know far more about this than I do. You can also help other people find the show through word of mouth or leaving a rating or review. So whether that's social media or in that aforementioned podcast player, helps other people find the show, really do appreciate it. The single most important thing you can do for this show and any other that has them is to check out our sponsors. For us, that is Athletic Greens. Go to athleticgreens.com slash realgm and you can get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Also, of course, tells them that you came from us. And for betonline.ag, use the CLNS50 promo code to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit, which is awesome. And of course, tell them that you came from us. Really do appreciate all of that. You can also check out my other work. Nate Duncan and I are still going strong with our Summer League breakdowns. We recorded for two hours today, and it looks like we might have another two hours tomorrow finishing out the rest of the leagues. Those pods have been absolutely excellent. Those are mostly on Dunked on Prime, though I believe one or two of them have been on the Dunked on free feed on the public feed and my written work i have a couple pieces in the process at the athletic hoping those will get out in the next little while depends on my own writing time and editorial i'd say as much as it's the off season i have a lot going on so it's when i have the chance and and but i have a couple of cool ideas that i'm, I'm working through right now and of course you can still read the excellent work of my colleagues there as well and then nate and i are still doing spotify live we're going to continue that basically as long as we're both in the country and typically that will be 3 p.m. Pacific, 
6 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday. It's going to be a little bit different this coming week. He also does this with John Hollinger, and we're kind of flipping time, so I believe we're going to be at noon Pacific, 3 Eastern on Wednesday this coming week. But normally, I I talked about the time, and then it is available only on Spotify as a podcast after the fact. I think it's usually about 24 hours. So if you aren't able to join us live, it's kind of like a call-in radio show. Nate and I love doing it. You can check that out there. If you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get it to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is an absolute promise. I'll try to get back to you, but I admit that I am not always the greatest at that, but that's why I consider it feedback. So you can send that to me and I will read it. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.